people we've met, the friends we've made. I mean, we hope we're a blessing to others, but I mean, it's been so many blessings to us so, throughout. Yeah. I mean, it's a way for us to worship, I think. I mean, serving and service, we just, I constantly see God. I constantly see God there. Well, I'm Brian. I'm Amanda. And we're the Benefields. We started Table 7-3 about two and a half years ago. It developed from our, actually our, our former community group. Um, we had, we did a lot of homeless outreach through that. We really felt like we were supposed to do something we felt like God was leading us to do something and we wanted it to be with the homeless community. And we naturally migrated to food, even though neither one of us had any real experience in the food industry. And so we started looking around for different uh, avenues and finally settled on a food trailer where we could prepare meals and then go to wherever the community was and serve it. Our, our mission has been just to reflect the love of God uh, that He has shown us to them you know, we we just wanted to reach out and make them feel seen because one of the things that they would repeatedly tell us was that they felt like nobody saw them. So when we first started, we had to get a, hire a chef to create these recipes for us because we really do want them to be restaurant quality. Our recipes are for about 150 people, so that's how many serving size we make. Usually we get there around 1230 to 1. Uh, volunteers usually show up around 1. I think it takes usually about eight to 10 volunteers in the kitchen. And so we, we prepare the food, we put it in some catering boxes, and then we load up our trailer, which is an Airstream called Tabitha, and we take it to where we're gonna be serving. The, the mission of Table 7-3 has always been take the food where people are. That's why we got the trailer. We just wanna meet them where they're at. Usually a, a large line will develop and uh, we start serving food. Um, there's not really a lot of park benches, but people go and sit on the curbs or sit on the sidewalk. Uh, we have a table where one of our volunteers uh, in Fayetteville and in Bentonville brings desserts and we set out desserts. And then we also have uh, care, personal care items and some clothing that is on that table as well. Um, and then people take their food and go eat it. And then we have volunteers that are in the trailer while we're serving and then volunteers that go out and speak with the patrons and they seem to really enjoy the engagement. We may not be the last point of contact where they finally take the plunge, but we want to be the early kind of God using us to direct them in, in the right uh, pathway towards Him. We're always looking for volunteers. We've been uh, very blessed by the volunteers that we've had, but we're always looking for new people because it's amazing the the positive response from the volunteers that have, have come. God may put something on your heart that you want to do or that He wants you to do and that once He does that the responsibility is on you to act or not act and so I would just say that our experience has been we acted and it's been nothing but positive and so I would say to other people whether it's with us or with some other group or starting something, um, take that plunge. Well, good morning, Fellowship Bentonville. Welcome. Hey, Kyle. Uh, my name is Nate Wesley, and this is my teammate, Caroline Rhodes, and we are so glad you're here to worship with us this morning. 
If this is your first time, we encourage you to stop by the community booth. Or if you're finding looking for a way to get connected, we encourage you to stop by there, talk to someone from our community team, and they would love to get you connected. So here at Fellowship Bible Church, our mission and vision is to produce and release spiritual leaders who know and express the authentic Christ to Northwest Arkansas and the world. And that video you just saw of Table 7-3 shows a perfect example of that. Table 7-3 exists to provide no-cost meals to our local homeless and at-risk community right here in Northwest Arkansas. And so if you're interested in learning more about them or just finding out how you can serve with them, we encourage you to stop by the Flex booth and they will be there to visit with you. Caroline, what else we got going on? Well, if you've been around fellowship for any amount of time, you've probably heard our family ministry mission statement, which is helping families own the spiritual development of the next generation. So we don't necessarily want to be the spiritual champion in the lives of the children within our ministries. We want the parents to be the spiritual champion. And one of the ways we do this is through a few camps and retreats throughout the year. We have Link Retreat coming up, which is a parent and child retreat for fourth, fifth, and sixth graders. So if you have a fourth, fifth, or sixth grader, we would love for you to register and join us on October 28th, which is um, a Saturday. You can come for just the day on Saturday, or you can stay overnight, join us at New Life Ranch. And it's really a unique opportunity for individual time for spiritual connection, for relational and emotional connection. I have three kids of my own, and I know that one-on-one -on -one time with each of them is super special and also important. So if you are interested and you have a fourth, fifth, or sixth grader, we would love for you to find um, the link on our website or our fellowship app and register to join us at New Life Ranch on October 28th. All right. If you guys would stand and join us, we are going to take a few minutes to greet the people around you. I know we haven't done that in a while, but take a few minutes and welcome the people around you. You guys are chatty. I love it. Hey, before we jump in this morning, um, there's been some heavy news um, from, from Israel um, with the bombings. And so I just want to take a moment uh, for us to just pray for peace and pray for the, the families and the loved ones, um, the loss of life. Um, so let's just take a moment to do that. Can we bow in prayer? Lord, have mercy. God, we long for the day that all war ceases. We know that you're near to the brokenhearted and that you are the restorer of all things. And so we ask for your presence to be felt and known uh, in this situation. And we pray for resolution. We pray for peace. In the name of the Prince of Peace, we pray it, Jesus. Amen. Psalm 34. 
Let's begin our worship together with this. And I want to invite you all to pray it with me, to pray it aloud with me. Use your voices in worship this morning. Come on, let's say it together like we believe it. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Okay, for half of us, that was really good. For the other half, come on, let's, I want to actually do it again. I want to invite you, when we worship together, it's important to engage and participate and say it like you mean it and use your bodies in worship. When we embody this time, uh, then it's formative, right? Okay, let's read it together one more time. Read it to Jesus. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together because that's why we're here this morning is to exalt his name together. We're doing this together, people. Are you ready? Okay. Hey, come on. I love it. Yeah. What? Are, are, we, are we clapping? We do that at fellowship? Come on. Hey, before I read one last verse from that, um, I just want to share that this morning we have a new teacher on the platform. Uh, he's not new to us, and a lot of you have seen him. You know him. Uh, his name is Kyle Plunkett. Any Kyle Plunkett love? Yeah. So Kyle is our FSM um, team leader student ministry team leader here at Fellowship Bentonville. And uh, it's such a blessing to get different leaders from different ministries to come and share the word with us. And so we're grateful to have him this morning. Okay. Psalm 34, 8. I'm going to read this one over you as a blessing as we enter into our time of worship. So receive it. Fellowship. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man or woman who takes refuge in him.
Father, have mercy on us. We have not loved you as you deserve. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We have not obeyed you as we should. Lord, forgive us of our sin. We are in need of a Savior. Church, believe the good news. Jesus died for us. Jesus rose for us. Jesus intercedes for us. 
In him, we are a new creation. In him, we have forgiveness of sin. In him, we have a savior. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Christ is my firm foundation, the rock on which I stand, when everything around me is shaken, I've never been more glad that I've put my faith in Jesus, cause he's never He's faithful through generations. So why would he fail now? He won't. He won't. And I've still got joy in chaos. I've got peace that makes no sense. So why won't we?
Thank you that you are the solid rock, the firm foundation on which we can build our lives. That no matter where we are on this journey, we can have joy even in what feels like chaos. We can have peace that just doesn't make any sense if we were outside of that situation or if we weren't with you in that situation. God, thank you that you are always here. Help us to learn how to build our lives on you. Show us, teach us. We love you. We thank you for your presence. Thank you for this wonderful group of people that's participating in worship this morning, that we get to do this together. And we pray for Kyle as he brings the word and and for your word now. As it's, as it's read over us. Um, God, may it find just soft soil, good soil in our hearts and our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, fellowship. Um, my name is Erica, and I have the honor of reading our scripture today. And it comes out of Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. And it says, Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, 
to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Amen. Many people are rejecting the gospel today, not because they perceive it to be false, but because they perceive it to be trivial. Hi. Y'all don't know me. Half the room right now is going, oh boy. It's one of those sermons. This guy's a downer. Uh, I promise I'm not a downer, at least, at least not always. Uh, who I am is a grateful recipient of God's grace. Um, who's really thankful for Jesus, and I'm really thankful for this church. It's actually, Fellowship's the only church I've known in my life, and um, I'm just really, really thankful for the goodness of God. I, uh, I'm married to an amazing woman who uh, puts up with my mess and, uh, and loves me despite my flaws, and together we have, a, uh, we have a two-year-old little girl who puts up with everything mom and dad decides to do with her, even if that means getting her up early on every Sunday morning to uh, drag her into FSM where she almost gets stomped on by high schoolers. And um, yeah, I get to serve with a, a team, uh, serve on a team serving 7th through 12th grade students in Bentonville. And I love my team. I love the people that I get, we get to do life and ministry with. I love our cell group leaders. I love our host home. I'm saying that to all of y'all. And most of y'all are like, we have kids in that ministry or we're maybe a host home just to know, just to let you know how much I really, really do um, I love you guys, and I love what we get to do here at Fellowship. So hold on to this quote, uh, as scary as it may seem, and I promise we will get back to it here in just a little bit. Following last week's teaching, the beautiful passage on kind of the Christology of Jesus that Paul laid out for us, he then turns to his church in Philippi and, and continues to pin his letter now on ethics or living out their salvation. Hunter showed us this application last week explaining that the Christian life is one lived as an expression of Jesus' life, one marked by unity and humility. Christ humbled himself by becoming obedient, uh, even to the point of death, death on a cross. So then we, uh, Paul's plea at least for unity, we are, as believers are to be like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one of mind, all because of what Jesus had done on the cross and all because of what he is doing within us. So, following Philippians 2, 1 through 11, I've been plagued by one major question. And it was after this teaching, it was also after uh, Mark's to live as Christ, to die as gain. I've been, I've been plagued by one simple but major question. How do we do it? How do Christians live in such a way that others around them are compelled to follow Jesus? If I was to ask one of our seventh graders this question, I might frame it like, hey, can your friends tell that you follow Jesus by the way that you live and act? Really, really simple question with some pretty major implications. Uh, this could be applied, this question, to fellow believers. Hey, are other believers spurred on in the faith because of our witness? 
or it could be for the lost. People who don't know Jesus, but can they see Jesus clearly because of our unity, our humility, our unwillingness to argue and complain as we live into and live out of our relationship with Christ? It's an important question, even more so now that so many are confused by faith, disenchanted by faith, angry at faith, or people who claim to have faith, or just done with faith altogether. A Barna study from May of this year actually put some language to track some of the, to, to those sentiments. In a poll asking, I think a few thousand people, what causes people to doubt Christianity, they found that hypocrisy is reason number one for other faith or no faith or non-Christians, and reason number two following human suffering for Christians. Now, you and I know, anybody in this room knows, that every Christian on the planet is a hypocrite at some level. Every single one of us, me included. We are all formally dead in our sin, hopelessly lost, confused, idolatrous slaves to sin and death before Jesus Christ's rescuing and redeeming work on the cross for our behalf. But we still carry around some of the old us along with some of the new us, which is why I'm so, so, so thankful for grace. We're talking hypocrisy and living like Jesus and all of this stuff. Grace are the, is the only foundation of which we have to stand. Christ is the only firm foundation of which we have to stand. But to the world at large, as evident by a Barna study, or maybe by coworkers or neighbors who may shrink away from you at the mere mention of church or Jesus or Christianity, many people perceive Christians to be marked by hypocrisy rather than humility or by disunity rather than unity. And a growing percentage view Christians or even church as a blot on culture and human progress rather than a light to the world. Okay, that was a lot. I came out with a heavy quote and then I gave you stats to back it up. Uh, let me take a deep breath real quick. And, um, and I wanna pray for us. I, I just really, really love Jesus and I really want his church represented well to the world. I want, I want the church to be a, a representation as a compelling counter-narrative for the life that says get more, strive more, be more, and lose yourself in the process that I tend to come out uh, a, a little bit hot. Um, so let me pray, and we'll see what Paul has to say about accurately reflecting Jesus in a way that leaves no space for the gospel to be seen as trivial. I also need to pray, just to let you know, because Mark has been telling me for months now, he's like, dude, if you teach the 7th through 12th graders, adults are easy. And I'm like, no, Mark. You might have lied to me, man. Y'all are kind of scary. That's okay. We're all here together. Um, let me pray for our time, and then we'll, we'll get into what Paul has to say about this. Jesus, be with us. There are no points or quotes or slides that can change us from the inside out. Only you can do that. So lead us to the truth in your word. Teach us to hold on to the word of life and help us look more like your son. We love you. Amen. So, Paul's first step for the church in Philippians to live into the story of Jesus as they're trying to figure out how to be the church in a, in a dark world is obedience. He says this, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Have you, have you, as you have always obeyed, my presence and my absence. The therefore, if you notice, um, and y'all are good at, at your personal Bible study stuff, so you know this. But the therefore is a reference to all that came in the letter before. 
things that Paul had already written to this church in, in Philippi, like being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus, or that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and pure and blameless for the day of Christ. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. For finally, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul is saying, because of all of this that I've already written, because of all of the therefores, all the way back to the beginning of the letter, because of all of the hope and the encouragement and the joy and the care, and because I know you and I love you and you're a church that I planted and I'm writing to you from prison, keep obeying the word of God. Keep living in sensitivity to the Holy Spirit within you. Even though things may look bad for you, persecuted church, or for me, I'm still in prison, by the way, keep on obeying. Obey in my absence as you would if I was right there with you. And Paul seems to be honestly pretty pleased with them. I mean, this is a letter that is just full of Paul's encouragement to this church in Philippi. He seems pretty excited about the way uh, that they are living. And then he says this. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Okay, what? It's a softball command. Paul, you are writing to a persecuted church here, not a little league team. Like, give us something good. Do everything without arguing or complaining. When this, when this honestly, when I first read this, it, it, it struck me as like, that's all there is? This is it? All of the therefores, the humility of Jesus, and the fact that the Holy Spirit is working within you to form you to be more in the image of your king, and all this stuff, hey, Hey, do everything without arguing and complaining. Come on, Paul. Here's Paul's secret, though. I was asking for him to give us something good, and he has, in fact, given us something good. Notice what he says next. So that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Now, what he's referencing here is Deuteronomy, the chapter in Deuteronomy. Specifically, Moses' final speech to the wandering, grumbling, and complaining people of the Exodus. It's a crazy story, actually, a really weird story. Um, God's people were led out of Egypt, out of slavery, through a parted sea, and then were led through the desert into the promised land or the inheritance in which they had coming. They were coming from, uh, from slavery and into freedom. And you know what they did? when things got a little bit tough along the way, pretty much the whole time. They grumbled, argued, and complained. They whined. Now, this isn't like a kid on a, on a road trip complaining that, like, oh, we're not there yet. This is formerly enslaved people complaining now about their freedom. At least Egypt had better food than this manna nonsense. Or at least, at least Egypt had a stronger ruler than this Moses guy. This quote from, uh, from Deuteronomy Paul is pulling from here is the line, the warped and crooked generation. And it's a, it's a reference to a song Moses penned before being led by God to a mountain to then die. Like I said, it's a really crazy story, is what he says. They're corrupt and not his children. 
To their shame, they are warped in crooked generation. When Moses finished reciting all these words to all of Israel, he said to them, take to heart all the words I have solemnly declared to you this day so that you may command your children to obey carefully all the words of this law. They are not just idle words for you. They are your life. What Paul is saying is that grumbling and arguing has no place within the softening hearts of the children of God. That grumbling and arguing for followers of Jesus must give way to gratitude and unity. This happens as we hold to the word of life. And remember, Moses' words were just that, at least until they were turned into scripture. Words that are life. And when we hold on to the word of life, we don't hold on to a mere word or command or a theological idea. Uh, We hold on to a person. Then we will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. We don't hold just to an idea or a law to a command. We hold on to the person, that person is Jesus. Remember John 1? The word became flesh, dwelt among us. That's what Paul's getting at here. So what do children of God among a warped and crooked generation look like? Well, they look like people who've had their grumbling and arguing hearts transformed into hearts of gratitude and unity. And there is great hope for the believer who holds on to the word of life. Not just that they will be transformed, you know, someday into the image of God, but by trusting in Jesus, they are actively being transformed more into the type of person that can hold firmly to the word of life and not argue and grumble or complain. We can hold on to the hope that the obedience, the unity, the joy, the inner transformation, the work, the toil, uh, the hardship, the, the rejoicing, whatever may come with following Jesus, isn't all for nothing. Because then Paul says this, because this, like Paul, anyone uh, with their faith and hope placed in Jesus will be able to boast on the day of Christ that they did not run or labor in vain. Put simply, this is called trust. Trust that Jesus is who he says he is and that his kingdom will reign. Trust that the things that seem upside down or weird or countercultural in our time or context as we're obeying Jesus are actually the things of God. Trust that even if the rest of the world is looking at us and saying, man, those crazy Jesus followers, can you believe what they put their hope in? Can you believe they're actually, they're actually willing to live like that or actually do that or not do that or whatever it may be? Trust that in all of that, we will not run or labor in vain, that Jesus is who he says he is, and we can count on him for that. So Paul concludes this section with this. I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you should be glad and rejoice with me. Three quick things happening here. One, the work of obedience and unity and uh, gratitude ultimately uplifts Christ and leads us to not laboring in vain in the Christian life. We, we love to sensationalize following Jesus. We love to make it more than, it more than it's meant to be. We love to make it doing all of the right things for Jesus all the time and making sure we never mess up in the process. But what if it was as simple as, so, as, as trusting so completely that Jesus is who he says he is, that he's working in us and living in us, that everything we strive to do or work towards this side of eternity will not lead us to laboring in vain? What if it was that simple? The second reality here, um, the drink offering is another Old Testament reference that Paul is pulling from. When a priest would pour uh, wine or fermented drink 
out over an altar as a symbol of worship. That's what he's referencing. Paul is saying that his life is an act of worship for the benefit of this church, Church of Philippi, and for the world knowing Christ. And he is totally fine if it ends up costing him his life. Third reality, and I love this one. He's like, if that happens, if I don't make it out of this thing alive, if I am actually poured out like a drink offering, if I don't actually make it out of prison to come see you guys ever again, if that totally happens, be so excited. Rejoice no matter the circumstances. Rejoice even if I don't get to come see you again. Be so pumped that it was all worth it because Jesus is all worth it. That's Paul's whole thing here. He's consistent throughout his entire letter. So obedience, unity, and trust. This is the framework in which Paul gives the church in Philippians to live out faith in a compelling way as they follow Jesus, to live out faith in a compelling way as they are uh, meant to be representatives of Jesus into the world. And did you all catch the imagery that Paul uses here? I love this. The imagery, it's stars in the sky and a drink offering. One is expansive, pushing back the dark. It's unavoidable. It's recognizable at a distance. And that would be the stars in the sky. Every night uh, for the past couple of weeks, my daughter, after bath and before PJs and bed and prayers, or book and prayers and then bed, has asked us to, quote, walk outside and see the moon and watch the stars. And she's two, so it's adorable because she's like, see a moon, dada. And you're like, of course, since you asked, we'll go see the moon. And I don't know where this started, actually. Like, I didn't teach her to go find the moon or try to see the stars. I think what happened, though, is one evening we kept her up um, past her bedtime longer than we should have. And as we were coming home, she saw the moon and she saw the stars. And she was so captivated by their presence that she's asked to go outside literally every night and see them ever since. She's just so captivated by the fact that there's stars and the moon in the sky and she doesn't know what to do with it herself. I think believers should be the most captivating and compelling human beings on the planet. I really do. Not just because we're creative, that we just do things better than the average person, or maybe not even because we're a little bit weird. We believe some things that maybe the rest of the world around us doesn't want to believe. Not even because we uphold all of the right things better than others, or we do church better than that person over there does church, or we do whatever, whatever, whatever. I don't think, I think believers should be the most captivating and compelling human beings on the planet because we rightly reflect Jesus, because we're holding tightly to the word of life, that we're actually like stars in the sky in a dark world, that we're actually like a drink offering, that there's something different about us that the world around begins to take notice of. So, so maybe others like my daughter or other people could look at us and go, oh, that's compelling. I want to get more of that. It's the, it's the accurately reflecting Jesus. It's the life that we hold on to as the word of God that animates us and brings life to our marriages and singleness and work and child rearing and friendship and leisure, all because we are, we are to be human beings entirely animated by the God of the universe. And if that's not a compelling vision for life, I'm not sure really what is. Like to be a human being so so brought into life and fullness of life by the God of the universe that everything about us is animated by him, that sounds like some really, really good life. And that's what believers are called to be. And the other word picture here uh, is of a drink offering. It's intimate. It's relational. 
It's sacrificial. And it's worship. As much as we as believers should be noticeable in a dark world, I think we should be equally as potent in our closest circles. I think we should have lives lived like a fragrant offering as we love lost neighbors, disciple our kids, forgive one another, worship together, and are being poured out for the sake of the gospel. Now, all of this is good and true and beneficial and helpful as it comes to our discipleship as a people um, to looking more like Jesus. But at this point, this sermon feels a little bit like my high school football experience with Philippians 4.13 plastered on the squat rack above, uh, well, yeah, above the squat rack. I went to a Christian school, if you couldn't tell. <laughs> plastered above the squat rack as, as if I could just believe that I could lift more weight. If, if Jesus would give me strength, maybe I could just believe that I could lift more weight. If I just believed hard enough, it would work out. We like to think that if we just learn more or think more or are more nuanced or maybe study the news more or think through every angle of every conversation with every brother or sister or lost friend more, maybe if we just believed hard enough, we could figure out how to get the ideas from Philippians off the page and into our lived experience with Jesus, then maybe, just maybe, if we believed more, maybe we could lift a little bit more spiritual weight. Is anybody else's story or is it just me? Okay, what I mean is we so often put so much weight and stake into this word we and the we live. Not that it's not important, and it is important, because we do have a responsibility to respond in obedience and unity and trust. We put so much weight on that idea of we when asking the very question that I've been asking all morning. So I think a better question is, rather than how do we live in such a way that others around us are compelled to follow Jesus, we'll take directly out of Philippians. It's this. How do we let God work in us to will and act in order to fulfill his good purposes? There's still a we. There's still a personal responsibility. But man, how do we let God get in there and do all the heavy lifting, right? Because if you've noticed, I've intentionally withheld a very important part of this passage. The verse, it's the very source of the obedience and the unity and the trust that Paul is calling us into as believers. I've intentionally withheld a verse. Are you ready for it? It's this one. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purposes. Now, I often wish that following Jesus was as simple as good idea, good point from that sermon. Uh, now they just automatically apply. Sometimes it is that simple, many, many times it isn't, which leads us to Paul's point. Consistent from the first chapter to the last in Philippians uh, is, is this idea that by faith, by faith in Jesus, we are to work out of what God is already doing within us. Verse 13 says just that. It is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purposes, or his good purpose. And what is that good purpose? What's well, obedience, it's unity, it's gratitude, it's humility. In short, it's for the believer to be so filled up by the Holy Spirit of God that they can't help but have the Holy Spirit leak out of them. They can't help for the, but for the fruit to be noticeable in their everyday life as they're learning to follow Jesus. So evident, in fact, they shine like stars in the darkness or poured out like a drink offering, all for the benefit of renewal and reconciliation within the world around them. 
Now, Paul says something really important here. He does not say work for your salvation. He doesn't at all. I remember when I was first reading this uh, a few weeks ago and was kind of chewing on it, I had the same feeling I got whenever Hunter House hired me onto the FSM team about six years ago, where uh, I remember I stepped on the team, you know, like a year out of school, a little 22-year-old, and was like, hey, I'm ready for this job. He was like, great. Uh, buddy slaps me in the back. He's like, your first sermon is up in a couple of weeks, and you're teaching on the doctrine of hell. Thanks, Hunter. That sounds awesome. Those kids are going to love me, man. It's going to be great. But I had that, that was like, oh, are you serious? We're going to have to talk about that? Like, this is my first one, man. This one felt similar until I realized that I was maybe reading it wrong. I was like, dude, you're giving me salvation and works like on first one with like adults who know their Bible? Come on, Mark. What are we doing here? But then I, you know, thankfully through good community and, and reading my Bible and the Holy Spirit recognized it was not this. It is not work for your salvation. It is work out your salvation. That's a very, very important distinction. In the Greek, it's kind of a weird word, but it's essentially saying do salvation. Do the things you would do as a free person, somebody who is saved. It's not that you're working for any more favor or faith or love or rescuing. That's done. That happened. We just read about that last week. That's the, that's the final redeeming, saving work of Jesus on the cross, and then he, he raised up into new life, and you're brought along with him. That is not what is going on. But what it is saying is because of all this, now work or do, do the stuff that matters. Do the salvation stuff. It's kind of weird language, but I like it. Do the salvation stuff. Do the things that you're already brought into because it is God who works in you to will and act in order to fulfill his good purpose, his good purpose. Continue to work out of or do salvation because it is God who works in you. Now, salvation is equally um, a one-time event where the course of the human soul is brought off of a path of death and into the path of life um, forever and eternally and an ongoing reality for those who are in Christ, a daily change, a daily animation I am no more saved or loved today than I was the day that Jesus rescued me when I was in eighth grade. But there's now a whole new awareness of of how great of a cost that that was. Justification, sanctification, and glorification. These three realities will come up later um, in the book of Philippians as it pertains to salvation. So you'll have to come back and hear either Mark or Mickey or Hunter or Doug really get into the weeds of some of those things because we don't have time today. The point is, We work out of, by faith, what Jesus is already doing in us. Remember, Paul is is writing to the persecuted church with a growing influence, and his message couldn't be any more clear. Hold tightly to the word of life. Do so without arguing or complaining, because you who were once slaves to darkness have now been set free. Do the things of salvation Do the things of salvation for one another and for others. Do the things that free sons and daughters do for for those around you. Do the things like forgiveness and mercy and grace and love and justice. You will reflect the light of Jesus to a dark world. And as you reflect, then your life will be an offering for for the creator, the sustainer, and the recreator of the universe as you join his plan to define what goodness means. Because of all of this, because we don't deserve an ounce of the the forgiveness and love that Jesus has so lavishly bestowed on us, rejoice. Rejoice as Jesus is elevated in our lives for our benefit, 
for the benefit of others, and for the glory of God. That is why we fear and tremble. Not because God is scary or is going to like squash us out if we mess it up, but because God is so good, because his love is so great, because his mercy is so unending, because this calling to represent him as the church, to be the light in the world or the stars in the sky or a drink offering or whatever other metaphor Paul wants to use is a reverent and high calling. That's why we fear and tremble. This is my daughter. We were at the, um, the Bentonville ninth grade or maybe eighth, seventh and eighth grade, however junior high works. I should know. It's my job. Uh, but it was the, the Bentonville Tigers versus the West Wolverines. And uh, we went to the game and we were hanging out and I snapped this photo. And I told her when we were going in, I was like, okay, Ren. We're going we're gonna to cheer for Bentonville, okay? Not the Tigers, not the Wolverines, Bentonville, because we're bipartisan in this thing. She's like, okay, Dada. And then we get in there, and she hears somebody say, go Tigers. She's like, go Tigers. So uh, if you're in here and, and you're not a Tiger, I apologize. I'm trying my best to raise my daughter appropriately. This is my daughter the day I took her home from the hospital. We took her home from the hospital. And I'll never forget this moment. She's like 24 years old, 24, hours old. <laughs> That would be crazy. <laughs> She's 24 hours old. And we take this tiny, fragile human being and stick her in a car seat and put these, like, huge straps on her and, like, clank her all in. And then I, I carry the seat out and I clank it in the back of the car. We jump in the front seat and Maris is sitting next to me. And I take the wheel and we buckle and we take off going north on 49. And I'll never forget. I look over and at one point, we're like 10 minutes into this thing, I said, babe, does everybody always drive this fast? She's like... Yes, and you're going 40 and a 70. Like, this is dangerous. It's like, okay. I tell you that story because that moment, driving my daughter for the first time from the hospital home, was not the first moment I was a dad. Okay, I'd been made a dad 24 hours previously, at the very least, when she entered into the world. I'd been made a dad nine months before, right? Like, before we even got to meet our daughter. But for that moment, for the first time in our story, I was experiencing fatherhood. I was doing fatherhood with fear and trembling. It was good for me. Because I understood the responsibility and the weight. I understood the call. I understood what all of this may entail. And I was like, I don't know if I can do this. And I think we might feel that way about following Jesus or representing him as a church. And the beauty in all of this, it's not up to us to do all of it. Jesus is the one who animates us. Jesus is the one who changes us. Jesus is the one who empowers us. Jesus is the one who works and wills within us to, to act in according to his good purpose. But I was doing fatherhood. I was feeling it for the first time with some fear and trembling. It was really, really good. So we don't fear and tremble because, or we fear and tremble because we recognize how high of a calling it is to be Jesus' witness to the world. We understand the price it cost him to leave the Father's side, be brought to the lowest of the low, to take our sin and shame and bondage on the cross, to defeat it, conquer it, die for it, and then be resurrected into new life to call all of us who call ourselves believers into new life with him. Reverence, considering the cost and the call, I think is the only proper response. This is why when Paul says, now do everything without arguing or complaining, he's not giving us a second-rate commandment only for junior high schoolers. 
or even a command to make us feel a little bit better about ourselves. He's giving us an entirely new understanding, an entirely new way to live, an entirely new understanding about what it means to live as a family of God representing Christ to the world. And the beauty of all of this, church, the beauty of all of it, is that he is pleased to use us. See, Jesus could have gone any route he wanted, chosen anybody from all of human history across space and time to be his representatives representatives to a lost and broken world. But he chose us, not just us in this room, but believers everywhere. He chose to empower ordinary, broken, messy, hypocritical men and women empowered by his very spirit to be that witness. And this isn't just a theory. It's actually a prayer that Jesus prayed for believers then to believers now before his arrest and crucifixion. And you and I, we're all included in this prayer. This isn't just theory. This is Jesus' prayer. Let me read this for us. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me so that, they, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Unity and glory Witness, love. I'm so thankful that Jesus has not and will not give up on the church and its people to be his witness and representatives to the world. A prayer like this, and that takes the seemingly trivial things of the faith and uses them to transform, uh, to transform them into a testimony to God's goodness and faithfulness through the generations. So, could it be said that many people are rejecting the gospel today not because they perceive it to be false, but because they perceive it to be trivial. Maybe, yes, sure, in some ways. But what I see coming from Paul and what Jesus said would happen for believers living unified with the Father and with one another is this. Many people are accepting the gospel today and growing in community because of the evidence and testimony of redeemed people rightly reflecting the king they serve. Bentonville, let me tell you, this is happening. I wish I had an hour, truly, to share with you all of the incredible stories that we've seen God show up in the most unlikely, unbelievable ways to meet broken human beings where they're at and bring them into right relationship with him. I wish I could tell you all the stories of the ways we're watching senior high students create a worship ministry out of nothing to bring their friends into public places and proclaim the goodness of God together. What we see happening in special needs and disability ministry or community ministry, early childhood ministry, elementary ministry. We get to watch our kids uncover as they're learning to follow Jesus as 7th and 8th and 9th and 10th and 11th and 12th graders. I wish... I could tell you all of the stories of the ways that I'm seeing this happen through the everyday saints of this church. It is truly the most encouraging and exciting and beautiful thing I've ever had the privilege to witness. And if this doesn't mark your life, 
if this isn't you, if you're on the fence about following Jesus, then please don't give up on Jesus. I can understand wanting to give up on him on account of those who claim to follow him, but don't give up on him. See, this, this room right here, we're all just one giant body of very, very similar stories. Stories of brokenness, of failure, of sin, of darkness, redeemed by a good and loving God and repurposed for his glory. So let me end with a quote that I pray can be true for every one of our lives. I heard this um, from a ninth grader recently, and it summed up perfectly kind of all that I'm always thinking about, about identity and calling and ethics and discipleship and church and being a follower of Jesus and all of that. And I hope, in response to this passage, to Philippians 2, that every small group and cell group and community group and workplace and school and family group and friend group can have a story like this one as we learn to follow Jesus together as a church. Uh, this ninth grader, she said this. People around us are starting to know Jesus because we're learning to live like Jesus and love like Jesus. And for that, I'm super happy. So we all stand and let me pray that prayer over us. Jesus, our prayer is that people around us will start to know your son because we're learning to live like you and love like you. We're starting to live like Jesus and love like Jesus. And God, I pray that we'll look more like him that we will be a people formed in the image of your son so thoroughly and so completely that we can't help but shine in the darkness. Not because we're creative or compelling in our own strength or in our own way, but because, God, you are so, so good at changing lives. As we learn to submit to you and obey you and trust you in the end, that we can't help but look like you because your spirit that you're empowering us by is, is, uh, is evident. It's evident in our lives to the masses and it's evidence to those that we're closest to. So I pray that that's true. We'll just simply trust you. Trust your work. Trust your redemption. Trust what you're doing even now. And trust as we follow you. You promise to never leave us or forsake us. We love you a lot. Amen. sing worthy of every song. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Jesus the name Jesus the name above every other name Jesus the only one who could ever say worthy of every breath we could ever breathe we live for you oh we live for you holy Holy, there is no one like you, there is none beside you, 
sing, you give life. You give life. You are love. You bring light to the darkness. You give hope. You restore every heart that is broken. Great are you, Lord. Let's lift this up. It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise, pour out our praise. It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise to you only. Give life, you are love, you bring life to the darkness, you give hope, you restore every heart that is broken. Great are you, Lord. It's your Shout your praise. Let's sing this out.
It's worthy of those songs. It's worthy of those hands raised. It's worthy of the, those melodies sung out. And he's worthy of lives submitted. So may it not just be songs in a place this morning. May our lives shout it. Greater you, Lord. May our lives shout it. I'm grateful uh, for time together to refocus, recenter on who God is and, and who we are and what he's calling us to. And so it's good to be with you in the house of the Lord this morning. I uh, want to uh, just pray a blessing over you as we leave uh, this week. Uh, before I do, Gordon and Colleen are available to pray with you. Uh, it's one of their gifts to the body. It's one of the unique ways that God's designed them uh, to pray for people, and it's their joy. So would you go and take them up on it? Um, receive this as a blessing to, to you this morning. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you put your trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. May it be. We love you, fellowship. Go in his presence.